0: Today, our scripture is going to be in the book of Hosea uh, in chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. If not, the verses will be on the screen behind me. In the book of Hosea, chapter one, starting in verse two. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diablam, and she conceived and bore him a son. The Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and she is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: So we give thanks to God. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what a gift it is to come around your word as a central part of our worship. Lord, that. Your word is at the heart. And so we come to receive good news, to learn of your heart for us, and learn how we might best respond. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word. Lord, open our hearts that we would feel its power. And in response, I ask, O Lord, that you would open our hands, that we would journey in your world, offering grace as your servants. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of us are experts in the minor prophet Hosea? Right. Okay, so uh, I, I know that this is a, this is a less often uh, pursued uh, body of work in Scripture, but it is so beautiful and comes to us at such a tender and critical point in the history of the people Israel. Hosea is one of the 12 minor prophets. And his, uh, his teachings are uh, collected together uh, by an editor, and, and it's woven into three different sections, okay? And almost all of what he writes is poetry. Almost all of the way in which he uh, offers this prophetic word as a vessel for the Lord is through the vehicle of poetry. And these three sections are uh, chapters 1 through 3, And this is the story of Hosea and Gomer, uh, Hosea the prophet and his wife Gomer. And then uh, chapters 4 through 11 are a section where uh, the Lord is offering a a critique, a word of of clarity for the ways in which the people of God have been unfaithful to God. They've strayed from uh, righteousness and, and God's direction. And then the Lord offers a word at the end in chapter 11. It's a word of hope. And then the last uh, section is chapter 12 through 14. Again, 12 and 13 are very critical of the people of God and how they have strayed from the Lord's teaching. But then uh, chapter 14 concludes with another word of restoration and hope. And what's interesting is you have these three sections and there's three separate uh, sets of teachings and prophetic uh, uh, words for the people of God. But chapter three, chapter 11, chapter 14 all provide a fresh vision for what God can and will do for God's people, even in the midst of their unfaithfulness. There's one verse that's an outlier though. Uh, It it is the very last letter Uh, excuse me, very last verse of the book of Hosea. It is in chapter 14, verse 9. And this is actually a word specifically from the editor that put together this collection of prophetic literature. Uh, This is not a word from Hosea. This is a word from the editor. And so uh, it's, in essence, his learning. And his hope for us, just as we would pursue Hosea's prophetic teaching as he did, or she. Verse 9 reads, Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them but the rebellious will stumble in them. What an interesting thing. Uh, who's wise, who's discerning. Uh, that, that's really a call for, for all of us who engage Hosea's teaching, for us to pursue it with a heart, desiring wisdom, desiring God, that we're to discern what is being taught. Because at times, prophetic literature can be complex, and we need to hear with, with clarity what is being proclaimed. And this is something that gives us uh, realization and understanding. But in the end, the Lord is right. And we have a choice on how we will respond to the Lord's righteousness. This this editor is saying in his very last words for us, you have a choice. You could choose righteousness and walk in his ways. Or you could choose rebellion and you will stumble your way through life. Okay, so now with that real positive word of encouragement, we're ready to start Uh, digging into Hosea so so we're spending most of our time uh, in the first section the first three chapters one through three uh, understanding the relationship between Hosea and Gomer understanding God's choice for how he would respond to the unfaithfulness of God's people and then we could see how we have an opportunity to respond as well to God's persistent pursuit of his people. So it opens up with this relationship, this really odd relationship. So God calls His prophet the vehicle through which He will proclaim His word to the world. Okay, that's what a pro- prophet does. A prophet hears from the Lord and speaks the word of the Lord to the people. So His vehicle of uh, of His word, He then uh, tells, "Hey, I want you to go marry a promiscuous woman." That's odd. Uh, for those of you that have kids, whenever you are praying for your child's future spouse, begin thinking of the adjectives that you pray for. Do you ever come across the adjective promiscuous? Okay, good. So we're past the 101 Christianity piece. Like, like that's like good job. You get a hundred, right? But 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 th- this is interesting. God calls Hosea to marry a promiscuous woman, and he does. He responds faithfully and he marries a woman named Gomer. And Gomer, we don't, we don't know what her, uh, what her history is. Uh, we don't actually know what she is at the time that, uh, that Hosea marries him other than he is faithful in responding to the Lord's call to marry a promiscuous woman. And his reward is promiscuity. Hosea has then, or, or Gomer has then three children. The first of these children is Hosea's. We know this because at the end of verse 2 it says, So he he married Gomer, daughter of Diablon, and she conceived and bore him a son. The first child is his. The other two children are not his. His wife then is promiscuous, is adulterous, and she then has two more children by some other men. And, and we hear of this in chapter 2, verse 5, just in case we're wondering, like, how do we know that these weren't Hosea's? In chapter 2, verse 5, it says, their mother, Gomer, has been unfaithful, and in her unfaithfulness, she has conceived these children in disgrace, So we have Hosea, the prophet of God, called to marry a promiscuous woman. He marries Gomer. Gomer then has three kids. The first is Hosea, the other two are the product of adultery. And so we then wonder, what is the response? How, How is Hosea, the prophet of God, to respond to this betrayal? We pause there and come back. In verse 2, excuse me, in verse 3, no, verse 2, I was correct. In verse 2, we hear that this whole connection between Hosea and Gomer, their marriage and her adultery, is from its very origins a metaphor for what God's experience is with us. At the end of verse 2, Hosea is told to go and marry a promiscuous woman, have children with her. And then it says this. For like an adulterous wife, this land, the land of the people of God, is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. This is a comparison, a direct correlation that, that we are to receive from the very origins of Hosea's teaching. Hosea's telling of his story of how he married a promiscuous woman and she was unfaithful and she betrayed his trust and in that pain he had a choice of what to do. And so we hear of, uh, of the God's journey with the people of God and we hear of, uh, of God's people's unfaithfulness, the way in which they, we betray God over and over again. We think of the people who were in Enslaved in Egypt who God called out liberated from Egypt and, and, and not 10 steps into the wilderness it seems. They were already making idols to other gods to Baal. Betrayal, unfaithfulness. We think, of, we think of the way in which Hosea is entering into this particular season. The people of Israel are fractured. They're broken. The people of the north and the people of the south have gone through a divorce in and of themselves. And then the people of the north, they, they are now, the people of Israel, God's people, are not looking to God for strength, but instead they are choosing to look to foreign leaders for strength. They're going to Egypt. They're going to Assyria. They're bending the knee to those kings and and pharaohs. And they are calling out to other countries' leaders saying, protect us and save us. That's the time in which Hosea is prophesying. A time in which the people are absolutely intensely unfaithful to God. And so we hear this call that this... This metaphor, this relationship between Hosea and Gomer is like the relationship between God and God's people. So then we start to ask and wonder, what is God's response to people's unfaithfulness? It would be very easy and reasonable and just. And in fact, because it is just, it would be good for God to respond with a hand of justice that is rooted in anger, righteous anger and indignation because of their people's response. God could choose justice, and in it, we could hear of God's wrath. God could also abandon his people. God could say, I made a covenant to be their sovereign God. I made a covenant to bless and to multiply. And I asked that, 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 that there would be a relationship that was founded between us. And that, that, that I would be faithful and they would be faithful. And because they were not, I could abandon them. I could be angry and enact justice. Or I could abandon them altogether. I could go find another people in another place or I could abandon people altogether because their hearts are turned towards infidelity. Either of those options would have been reasonable and just from God. But what is God's response? What's what's your response when you're betrayed? What is your response when you're betrayed? I don't use the word betrayal lightly and I want you to to lean in there because sometimes we think of it like, oh, you know, uh, she said something bad about me or he said something rude or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about betrayal. Think about that time where you felt most substantively betrayed and it almost universally is going to be rooted in a relationship that you placed high value in where you thought that there was um, commitment, in the relationship where both would be kind, loving, and honoring to one another. Earlier this year, I felt betrayed. Uh, I was, uh, I have been a friend to this particular guy uh, for over a decade and we have journeyed together and I felt absolutely betrayed as though trust had been violated and broken and I was hurt. Uh, So much so that, that, uh, I, I was actually, uh, I was leaving the place where I experienced that betrayal, and my son was with me, Aiden, and, uh, and and we had an hour plus drive back home. And in the midst of that pain, we didn't speak a word because I was just letting it foment, kind of deep in my gut, you know. And then it enters into your heart and your head, and you start recounting over and over again, the nature of the betrayal, the pain of the betrayal. And you rationalize what is the appropriate response. It took me about uh, a week just sitting in anger. Okay, now now I got you. Because I see that many of you have experienced betrayal as well. Once I got to a week of anger, then you knew what I was talking about, okay? So, like, I was sitting there for a week just in anger. Feeling the weight of betrayal. And then I... Decided that I was going to make soft pursuit, just kind of like, we'll see what happens. I texted, you know, texted about my experience, texted how I felt, asked for us to have a chance to talk. About a week went by, didn't hear anything. You know what my next response was? Not more anger, abandonment, cut off. How many people who've betrayed you have been cut off and out of your life? I mean, that's a, whew, we might have a longer, we need need some counseling uh, because the list starts to add up because when we feel that way to betrayal, sometimes it's swift and as swift as we can and other times it takes a process in order to get there, but we start working the mechanics of cutting people off and out of our lives because of the betrayal, the hurt that we've experienced. And then I had another friend, That friend came into my life and spoke a word of truth to me. You know what he said? He said, Jason, I know you feel betrayed. You have to have walked through anger. And I see that you've been cutting this guy out of your life. But I'm here to rebuke that. He said, I want you to go to his office at 11.45 on a weekday. And I want you to tell him that you're here to have lunch with him. Not this like mamby-pamby soft text message, not a voicemail, you know, calling at, at like bedtime when you know he's tucking the kids in, not an email, you know, not, not, not soft peddling it. I want you to go to him, make him see you face to face, and make it right. All the way, engage, pursue restoration. And that's the same choice that God had for his people. It's the same choice that that God presents to us, that that you could sit in anger or you could uh, choose abandonment, but if you want to really lean into the kind of holiness that God has for you, then you're going to pursue All the way. God didn't just choose pursuit. God God pursued with himself in the the divine nature, taking on the flesh, and his son Jesus Christ came into the world, and as he entered into the world, he, he made a way where there was no other way. In our unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness reigned supreme, and victory was won so that we could now enter into his holy presence through which we were otherwise unworthy to enter. God's holiness called him into a faithful pursuit of deeper relationship and walk with us. There's a couple of examples of the way this plays out. The very end of chapter two, which is kind of the prelude to chapter three, and then in chapter 11, and then in chapter 14. So I don't want you to be surprised because those are the three kind of hopeful words from the prophet's literature, remember? So the end of chapter two, Verse uh, 22 and 20, uh, excuse me, 21 through 23 reads like this In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, and the new wine, and the olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. Basically, there will be fruitfulness that comes from the Lord as He responds to our unfaithfulness. Then He says, I will plant her. For myself in the land, I will show my love to the one called, not my love. I will say to those who are called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. How beautiful that that unfaithfulness actually... Uh, uh, is a is a break in a loving relationship, is a break in the ability to persist in community with someone. You're not my people. You're not my love. Ah. And then God says, but my response isn't to sit there. My response is to restore and redeem that. And I will make my love, my, my people feel my love and know that they are my people. Then in chapter 11, uh, it also reads a, a, of a great transition for God as he is considering his options, the choice that he has, justice through anger, abandonment, or uh, a full-hearted pursuit. And verse 8 of chapter 11 reads, How can I give, up, give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand over Israel? How can I treat you like Adama? How can I make you like Zeboyim? And then hear this, My heart... Is changed within me, the Lord says, and all my compassion is aroused. So now God chooses compassion, chooses wholeness of relationship, and desires to be restored to his people and his people restored to him. And then in chapter 14, verse 4, hear, hear this another way that the Lord engages us, the people, in the midst of our unfaithfulness, he says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. What good news we have. What good good news we have that God would uh, choose compassion over anger, would choose choose this free love that can be offered and we could choose to receive in response. What a beautiful thing that God chose not to lean into his justice and anger or abandon us, but rather he pursued us with his son, Jesus Christ. Back to Hosea and Gomer. You know, the story uh, has, uh, has some, uh, some necessary inferences there. Where we left it off, Hosea marries Gomer, a promiscuous woman. She then has three children, one to him and three that are uh, bastard children. And then uh, Gomer, uh, Hosea now has a choice of how to treat Gomer. But what we see then is this, this uh, disconnect as we enter into the opening of, of chapter 3. And, uh, and God calls Hosea to pursue Gomer in the same way that God pursues you and me. God calls Hosea to, humble, uh, to be humble and compassionate, full of love and grace, and offer restoration where restoration is not deserved. And so we see now that, uh, that Gomer is living as a prostitute, owned by a man who, is, uh, who, is now, uh, who she is now dependent on. And in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Let's hear how God moves Hosea's heart to be like his heart. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she lo- is loved by another man and is an adulteress. And here's the instruction. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. By that way, that, that's, a, that's an instrument of worship of other gods, Okay. And then it says that uh, Hosea then bought his wife, Gomer, for a price. Resonates with something, huh? So Hosea bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer uh, and a lethic of barley. And then here's what he says to to Gomer after he buys her for a price, just as God buys us for a price, the price of his son, Jesus Christ. He says, I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with another man. And I will behave the same way towards you. See, God is offering this instructive word through the relationship of Hosea and Gomer. And Hosea enters in and says, I will be faithful to you, even though you have broken my trust. Even though you are unworthy of this offering, I'm offering my whole self to you to restore this relationship. And in this offering, I'm calling you now to be faithful. That echoes what we heard in chapter 14, verse 9, doesn't it? That the response to God's righteous offering of restoration is righteousness as well. No longer rebellion. And so we have a choice to make. And I think it's beautiful that, 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 that this, uh, this is left unanswered in the story for us. And it allows us to enter in because we are Gomer in the story of us and God. We are the ones who have been unfaithful to God, who are unworthy of God's righteous offering of restoration. And yet here in the space, God calls each of us and says, I am yours, you are mine, come and be faithful. We don't know how Gomer's story ends, and we don't yet know how ours ends. But what would it be for us, for us to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I didn't deserve that. I'm unworthy of this reckless love that you so graciously offer and bestow upon me. I'm so unworthy as I have sought other gods and I have worshiped at other altars And I have abandoned you, but you pursued me. Lord, I'm unworthy. Thank you. And what if our response was humble submission, saying, Lord, I give my whole heart to you. I will be faithful. I will serve you as my Lord. I will honor you all my days. I know that I have failed in my past, but my future is yours. I lay it in your hands I offer it to you. May that be our response to God's faithful offering today to each of us as His people. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary gift it is to hear, to hear of. Uh, of of those in the past, those in the annals of history that, that are so much like us, just as they have abandoned you, we have abandoned you. And so we come humbly before you and we ask, Lord, that that you would allow us to receive that gift of restoration through your Son Jesus Christ. Lord, we are yours. Our future is yours, all our days are yours, our hearts are yours, our lives are yours. We give our whole self to you as a sign, as a symbol of our offering and love that is rooted in response to your faithful pursuit. Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, we pray that you would bless these gifts and these givers that all that is done in this space and time would be for your glory, honor, and praise. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.